James chapter 2 tonight and verse 17. If you've found your place and you're able to do so, I ask again tonight that you would stand as we show our respect for the reading of God's holy word. It says in verse 14 and 15 and 16, talks about people who say they have faith, but they it doesn't get them to do anything. And so I'm reading all that. I'll start in 17. He says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. And his answer is, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. By the way, in your soul winning, in your witnessing, to lost people, you'll talk to a lot of people when you're talking about being a Christian, they'll say, I believe in God, I believe in God. Well, you can point out that the devils also believe and tremble. You gotta do more than just believe that God exists, amen? Although that's a good starting place, but you gotta be saved. Verse 20, but wilt thou know, o vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Notice this last part of this verse. And he was called the friend of God. Let's pray. Father, again tonight, we thank you for your word. We know it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, you minister to our hearts in so many ways by your word. And I pray tonight that you'd work according to your purpose in each life. I pray there'll be conviction where it's needed. I pray there'll be encouragement and challenge and instruction. I pray, Lord, that faithful Christians will be edified and built up in the faith. Lord, I pray you'll be pleased with the message and that you'll be glorified by the response and the decisions and, and the help that's given to people tonight from your word. We will praise you for what you do. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and please be seated. In verse 23 of our text, the Bible says Abraham was called the friend of God. Now that's a quote of Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8. Not a direct quote, but that he was in Isaiah 41, 8 called uh, the friend of God. I was reading that some time back and uh, it just got a hold of my heart. And I thought, wouldn't you like to be called the friend of God? Wouldn't I like to be called the friend of God's word hit me first? And then I thought I'd share the thought with you. Wouldn't you like to be called the friend of God? Believe that Abraham's friendship with God was based on his perfect faith. The Bible talks that his faith was made perfect. And the word perfect there means complete or mature. It was made perfect by being mixed with or wrought with or accompanied by works. That were, that were a result of his faith and part of his faith. In verse 17, he's very clear. He says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And he said, show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Martin Luther, who's a famous one of the Protestant Reformation, one of the famous ones, and he's been praised for many things, and, and uh, he went from a religion of uh, salvation by works to salvation by grace. And he got justification by faith down really well. But in his studies of the word of God after he got saved, he never really got a hold of the book of James. He did not understand what it's talking about here. 
And he was quoted as saying, James is the, is the epistle of straw, which he greatly disrespected the book of James, which was a bad thing. But uh, and I, I'm not saying that to criticize him. I'm just saying there are a lot of people who cannot put together faith and works. And yet it's so simple. It's like, I'm not going to heaven because I do uh, uh, works. I'm going to heaven because I have faith. And I do, I, I, I do works because I am saved. Not in order to get me saved. And to me, that's what it's talking about here. And if you want to maybe oversimplify it, but that's the crux of it as you read the just shall live by faith in other books of the Bible, in other chapters. But I want you to notice that I want to talk about uh, Abraham being the friend of God. I don't want to talk about you, about you being the friend of God. Obviously, Abraham was a man of faith, called the father of the faithful. James 2.23, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him or is imputed unto him for righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 11, you want to, I want you to turn over there. I'm going to spend some time in Hebrews 11 tonight. But in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, a great verse on the subject of faith. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Mark it down tonight, Christian. Without faith, you cannot please God. I talked this morning in the message. I talked about being in the favor of God is the greatest thing you can have in this life, is having God's favor upon your life. And you can't be in his favor uh, without faith. And we think about here in this uh, Hebrews 11, known as the great faith chapter. And I'm not going to read all these verses, but in in verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered, I'm back in Hebrews 11 now, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Of course, uh, more than Cain, and more excellent than Cain offered. And by faith Enoch walked with God and was translated. And he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then it says, But without faith, it's impossible to please him. And in verse, uh, uh, in verse 7 there, it says, By faith uh, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And it's faith produces works. Biblical faith produces works. And uh, that's what the, uh, the works, not doing the works to prove to people we have faith, but doing the works that come naturally out of biblical faith, that's what he's calling perfect faith. And since he called it that, and it is the Bible, we can see it's true, amen? Think about Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 8 through 10. Let me read these uh, quickly tonight. In verse 8, we started with Abraham back there in James, so let's zero in on him. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so by faith he went out, he obeyed God not knowing where he went. And by the way, that is a great picture of the Christian life. You know, when I got saved, really all I knew is that I was saved and I was going to go to heaven when I died. I had no idea where I was going to go and where I was going to end up and the places I was going to be and the things I was going to do, trials we would face and hardships we had endured and so forth. Had no idea about all that and neither do you. And no matter what you've been through up to this point, you still don't know what's ahead for you. So faith is a journey. 
And it's a journey, thank God, that only God knows about. Amen? We probably all have some things in our future we'd just soon not know about until they come. Amen? And when they do, if you're walking with God, he'll give you grace. He sojourned in the land of promise. He looked for a city, it says in verse 10. Over in verse 17, 18, and 19 of Hebrews 11, it talks about that he offered Isaac. I want to read those so I don't mess it up here. But verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. When it says he offered him up, he was ready to do it. He had him tied up, he had him bound. I believe he had the knife ready to take in his life. He had the fire there. And God said, I see you're willing to do this. And so he offered him in a figure. He didn't literally burn him, but he was getting ready to. Say, how could he do that? By faith. Because the Bible says even though He's about to take his son's life. He believed that God would raise his son from the dead because God had made promises that would come through that son that had not yet been fulfilled and he believed in the promises of God. And he was able to go ahead and do what he ought to do. Look in verse 13 of Hebrews 11. It lists these uh, patriarchs here and it says, These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. They received the the, the promise of the promises. Amen. You follow what I'm saying? They received. God said, "I'm going to do this," but they didn't see it happen. That's what it means when it says they hadn't not received the promises. They died believing in something was going to happen after they died. And it did, didn't it? The Bible says they were persuaded of them. And by the way, I'm going to die believing in some promises that haven't happened yet. We'll talk about a little bit more of those here in a few minutes. And you know what I'm talking about. And it says, and they embraced the promises that they had seen afar off. Now, when I think of embrace, I'm not wrong in this, an embrace is a hug. Amen? And you understand there are hugs and then there are hugs. There's ladies that I've seen here since I've been here that I've known for some time and they're dear to me and I'll walk up beside them usually and I'll hug them like this, appropriately. I don't want it to be the wrong kind, amen? But we have a daughter who's a missionary overseas. And we, I thank God for FaceTime. We get to see him every week on FaceTime. We're wimpy missionary parents in the days we live for that. I, I thank God for that. But I remember when they went for their first term, they went in 2008. The first time they came home on furlough, we were at Indianapolis Airport. That's back when you could still go back in the food court and, and be there when they came out and so forth. We were back there waiting on them to come in. And, uh, you know, I hear parents say, I don't care about my kids, I just want to see my grandkids. Now, we love our grandkids, but I wanted to see Christy. 
We even love our son-in-law, but I wanted to see Christy. <laughs> Man. And I will never forget coming out of kind of a tunnel area where they come out of. When she came out, my eyes were on her, her eyes were on me. She was seeing her mom too. But uh, we, uh, we, uh, it, we all shared uh, some of this, but she came to me, and I'm telling you, that was a hug. She's as tall as I am, and so she can, when she gets me around the neck, I mean, she's up there, you know, and squeezing hard and, and all that, and, and neither one of us really wanted to let go. And I think any of you could relate to that with your loved ones. That's an embrace. And the Bible says, these men embraced the promises. You know, it's one thing to casually believe a promise of God. It's another thing to embrace it. I have learned, even from Abraham's uh, example, but also in my own life, you can live on the promises of God. You can base your life and the direction of your life on the promises of God. These died in faith, not having seen the promises, but they were persuaded and they embraced them. When I think about faith as we're seeing it portrayed here in James chapter 2 and Hebrews 11, there's two very important aspects of faith. And I'm going to mention two things and that's not what I'm talking about. I know that faith is strong belief and it's trust. But with the strong belief and trust, there's two aspects. And I want you to note these tonight because many people when they think about faith they just kind of gravitate toward one or the other instead of realizing both are involved. First of all, and this may be simple, and you figured out this a long time ago. It just, it's not been that long ago I studied, and I said, man, this is, i got to tell people about this. But first of all, the two, first aspect is how our faith affects God. Amen? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And what it's saying there is, if you're right with God and you're praying like you ought to pray, it'll move God to do some things in answer to your prayers. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't pray. I would pray. I'd pray and praise God and thank God and so forth. But when it came to the supplication end, I'd be weak in that area of it. But I'm confident when I pray that he's hearing my prayers and I've seen him answer prayers and I, I rejoice in the fact that he answers prayers. Some people, when they think about a man or a woman of faith, all they can think about, he's a great prayer warrior. I want him praying for me if I have a problem. And that's okay. You can think of that. And that's, that's okay to think that way. But don't think only that way. Because the other aspect of faith is how our own faith affects us. It affected these in Hebrews 11, didn't it? You say, what are you talking about? If you have the kind of faith Abraham had, this perfect faith we're talking about, it'll affect what you do. First of all, it'll affect you to get saved, amen? I asked Jesus to come in my heart because I believe what he said about salvation, about my need and his ability to supply. It'll, it'll affect you in that it'll cause you to obey the Lord and serve the Lord and walk with the Lord knowing that's very valuable. And even deny yourself of some of your desires and some of your plans. Maybe even deny yourself of some of your finances, those kind of things, to give to others to the work of the Lord. It'll move you to do some things. So faith affects God in that our faith can affect him as we pray. 
And then our faith should affect us in the way we live and what we do and what we refuse to do. Our faith should cause us to refuse to deny the Lord. It should cause us to refuse to neglect the Lord and to disobey the Lord. Our faith should move us in those things. And I want to ask you tonight, and I don't spend a lot of time on this part, but I want to ask you to consider where and how are you exercising your faith? Where and how are you exercising your faith? First of all, are you exercising your faith in, in, uh, in your prayer life? I'm not talking about having prayer in, uh, faith in prayer. I'm talking about demonstrating that we do have faith when we pray to God, believing that God hears and answers. You know, one of the great problems with Christians, I think, is the lack of prayer. I really believe that. You know, I, I teach and preach on faith from time to time. I did as a pastor over the years, and, and uh, different people have said something like this. Preacher, you talk about prayers that you and Wanda have had answered. God's done things in your life in direct answer to prayer. And they say, you know, I don't know that I have any of those testimonies. And if it's a situation where I can without it being awkward, I will confront them gently with the fact, but do you pray? Because one of the great hindrances to having your prayers answered is you have not because you ask not. And let me tell you something else it needs to be when we pray. It needs to be specific. You need to pray for specific needs in the lives of specific people. I think it's all right to pray, Lord, bless the services today. Pray if anybody here that doesn't know Christ, they'll come and be saved. But you, you, you folks are around here. I don't know the folks that are coming that need to be saved or need to get right or so forth. And you don't always know who they are. But you know people that are lost. And you're carrying a burden for them. And you ought to be praying for Bill and Larry and Fred and Mary and Jane and whoever, you know, whatever. People that you know by name. Lord, I pray you'll be working on their heart to bring them to yourself. And, of course, put feet on your prayers and witness to them. But pray that they'll hear and answer. And that you have friends and loved ones and people you care about that are sick. Or they're having, they need a job. Or all kinds of things in life that people need. Be praying, not just, Lord, make sure our men have jobs. Pray for the guy that needs a job. Jesus said, hey, if there are two of you, ask nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And it's not wrong to pray for things you need. And it's not wrong to pray for things you want. I'm not going to take the time for testimony here, but there's some things that Juan and I have prayed for very specifically and only talked to God about it and nobody else about it. And people have come forward and helped us or done for us in areas that we prayed for. People we would have never thought would do those things. And you know, anything I ever wanted, I'm glad when I get it. There's joy in getting what you want, usually. <laughs> But when you get what you want and you know God gave it to you in answer to prayer, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. There's a special level of joy there when you know you have prayed specifically and God has answered. 
our men's prayer meeting on Sunday morning, we uh, had for years and years and years, <coughs> we had a prayer list there. And I told the men, when we come for a prayer meeting, it's not, we're not here to pray for Aunt Mary's bunion. We're not here just to go over the regular prayer list. We're here to pray for the services today. And we kept a prayer list of men and women that were lost. And guys would bring people in, their name in, and we would pray for them. And young people as well. Or people that are backslidden out of church. We prayed for those. And it was a joy to see those one after another. And some of them took years. I'm being honest with you. Some of them took years of faithful prayer but see them come and get saved or have the privilege of leading them to the Lord in their home and then see them come and be baptized and become a real faithful part of the church, praying for specific needs of specific people by name and specific needs of the church <clears throat> by what the need is. And don't pray, we need $100,000 and I pray that Brother Joe will get, wake up and give it to us. I'm not talking about that. Pray that God will supply that. And he is able to do those things. Are you exercising your faith in prayer? How about in your finances? You know, the Bible says in Malachi 3.10, bring you all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me. Now herewith saith the Lord. If I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you'll not be able to receive it, and he said, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I'm not going to preach a big message on tithing, but I'm saying, you know, it's the only place in the Bible where God says, prove me. That's the only place. You know, he starts it out with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he doesn't give some big apologetic about it. He doesn't give some big theological explanation or, or uh, uh, explanation from uh, what we'd call uh, science, and I'm not against true science. Uh, he doesn't give it big explanations. He just said, that's how we got here. And, of course, the proof is here. Some of keep their eyes open. But tithing and offerings, he said, prove me if I'll not do what I say I'll do. I've heard this before, and it's not because I go up to somebody and say, you need to start tithing. I don't, don't do those kind of conversations. I preach and teach and let God deal with hearts. If somebody brings it up, I'll talk to them about it. But I've had different people over the years come and say, preacher, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I know people ought to tithe, and I need to tithe, but I can't afford to tithe. And when they say that, I immediately say, you may not understand this yet, but you really cannot afford not to tithe. And I've had people say, you know, when we get out of debt, I'm going to start tithing. And I just assure them, if you want to be sure to stay in debt, you keep the tithe for yourself. You don't get out of debt by spending God's money on you. Amen? I'm just saying that tonight, every time. And I'm not saying that every time you tithe or give to missions or some special offering, I'm not saying that you're putting yourself in a bind. But the truth is, some folks 
probably all of us have had times we were living our life in a bind financially. But the tie still came off the top. And we didn't miss meals. We had some debts, but we didn't miss any payments. We were able to meet our financial obligations. Now, I'm not saying if you tithe, God will pay all your bills. If you mess up, you're going to have trouble. But you won't have any more trouble tithing than you have not tithing. The difference is you'll have the God's blessings upon you for obedience in that area. I'm going to move on. Are you exercising your faith in personal witnessing? You know, my favorite witnessing verse is Psalms 126 and 6. It's an agricultural illustration. It uses agriculture to illustrate soul winning as far as I'm concerned. You could call it that. He that goeth forth and weepeth. You weep because you have a burden. Amen. Bearing precious seed. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your words of witness. Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Bringing his sheaves with him. What he's saying in that verse is if you'll be a faithful witness. People will get saved because you were a faithful witness. You're a faithful witness with a burden. Now, don't be a witness who's just doing it to just to discharge a duty. You follow what I'm saying? Well, preacher's always honest. He wants us to go out, knock on some doors, and passing out some tracks. I better go. That's not a burden. That's obligation. We ought to feel a sense of obligation because we care about people. We ought to go with a burden. We, you know. We ought to go hoping people get saved. By the way, we didn't have a visitation program so we could build the church. We had a visitation program because people are lost and they need the Lord. And I believe that it's a byproduct of that is God will build the church. But we don't do that just so we can have more numbers of people here. We talk to people about Christ because we care about their soul. And God has promised that there will be a harvest. I'll say this very quickly because I can get stuck on this one. But some people are all worked up about, I'm not a good soul winner because I haven't led X number of people to Christ. And I'm telling you, you are a soul winner if you have a part in the process of people coming to Christ. The Bible says one sows, another waters, and God gives the increase. There was a man that uh, got saved in our ministry years ago. We were in, I was in my 20s, he was in his 20s at that time, and uh, late 20s, and, and he, uh, he got saved, got on fire for the Lord, and he brought a friend of his to church, another man. And the man came for five or six weeks, and he came every Sunday. And uh, I went to his house and visited with him, witnessed to him some, and wasn't able to lead him to Christ. And, but he kept coming. One Sunday morning, finally, I gave the invitation. I said, if you're here today and you're not saved and you're concerned about your soul, would you raise your hand and let me pray for you? And his hand went up like that. And I thought, today's the day. He's going to get saved today. But he didn't get saved that day. Gave the invitation. <clears throat> didn't drag it out. He didn't come. Well, maybe, maybe next week. God's working on him. <clears throat> well, that afternoon, his sister was a, a member of another Baptist church in our area. They were having a revival meeting, and she invited him to church. And he went to revival that night and got saved at that other church. Amen. He not only got saved there, he got baptized there. And he was a faithful member there for 35 years that I know of. And I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted him to be at our church. 
but you'll never convince me that I didn't play the role of a soul winner in his life. His friend who invited him to our church was a soul winner. I preached the gospel to him. I was a soul winner. The uh, man who preached the gospel that Sunday night was a soul winner. His sister that invited him to church that night was a soul winner. And whoever led him to the Lord at the altar or in the other room or whatever it was, all soul winners. So what I'm saying is be faithful to witness because it'll bring souls. I'm not the only one that the devil's ever said this to. The devil tells us it doesn't do any good to witness because people don't care. Has he ever told you that? <laughs> I want you to remember the reason he says that is because he's a liar. The reason the devil tells us not to witness the lost souls and don't pass out tracts and don't do what you can to get people saved, he tells us that because he says it doesn't do any good because he knows it does good. And people do get saved. You know, to be a faithful witness for Christ, you need to exercise some faith because you'll talk to a whole lot more people about the Lord than you'll get to lead to the Lord. Go ahead and witness and pass out tracts and invite people to church and all that because it does good. And people do get saved. A couple more and I'll move on from this, but do you exercise your faith in Christian service? In serving the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Steadfast means fastened in place. Unmovable means you can't be moved. You say, how can I say I'm unmovable? How can I say I can't be moved? Because if you're walking with God and serving God and you'll trust God, you can't be moved. And that's the way we ought to be. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means don't just piddle at it or dabble in it. Abound. Of course, we get the word abundant from the word abound. When I think about abundant, I think about a, a, an abundant cup of coffee is one where the cup is full and the saucer is too and it's running over. That's how we ought to serve God. Not doing the least we can, but doing all we can for the Lord. Abounding in the work of the Lord. And it takes faith to do that because it can be discouraging and it is called work. But God will bless it. Then one other I want to mention, are you exercising your faith when facing and dealing with trials, problems, and even tragedies? It takes faith to go through those things, amen? We need to exercise our faith. Job who went through a lot of problems. If you read about Job at all, you know, all his, you know, his sufferings were just immeasurable, like I've not been through, and you've probably not been through anything close to that, all that he lost in such a short period of time. And in the midst of it all, he said in Job 12 and verse 15, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. <laughs> he was kind of saying, you know, if it kills me, I'm still going to serve God. Really what he was saying is if I die doing it, I'm still going to keep serving God. You know, we all have problems. We also as Christians have the grace of God. That's his help and his comfort and his strength to get through. But Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And I've heard so many Christians say, why me? I'm careful to say this tonight. I'm not uh, saying this lightly. 
because I'm not asking for more problems or more trials. But I got to thinking about this years ago. And sometimes I wonder, why not me? There are a lot of men that are not my age that have already went to heaven. There's a lot of people my age or younger that can't get up and go every day like I can get up and go every day. Are you following what I'm saying? There's a lot of people who are as good a Christian as I'll ever be who've lost loved ones unexpectedly. Car accidents and sickness and disease and so forth. And I'm not asking for my turn. Lord, I'm not asking for my turn. By the grace of God, it's not been me. But when it, if it ever does happen to me or to you, I've already, you know, I've made it known I want to die first before her. You know, <laughs> amen. But we all know the possibility that our loved ones can go first. We need to settle it in our mind. We're going to still keep loving God and serving him. People say, why me? And they say it over the silliest little things, as well as major things. And then they say this, young people, are you listening to me tonight? I'm going to give you a very important life lesson tonight, and I want you to hear this. Life is not fair. You better face it. There are people who are going to have it in some ways better than you as they go through their lives. And people you know that you're every bit as smart as they are. And you'd work as hard and all those other things, but life's not fair. Life is good, and God is good all the time. But life is not fair. And if you're going to be discouraged and give up because life hasn't treated you fair, you need to grow up. You need to understand that. God's grace is always sufficient. And you can be happy and have the joy of the Lord and you can walk with God and you can rejoice in the many blessings you do have, but life is not fair. And I'm talking to teenagers right here eyeball to eyeball and every kid that's in here, and I'm talking to you as an adult, no matter how old you are, if you haven't figured out yet that life is not fair, you need to deal with it. You need to understand that. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And Christians are running around saying, why me? And life's not fair, and I quit. Our pastor, when we were in Bible college, used to say, I've never forgot this. He said, you know, I know it's discouraging, it's hard sometimes, but if you quit today, what are you going to do tomorrow? Tomorrow's coming. You might as well know that God is always trustworthy. You better keep trusting him and serving him. And you know what that is? That's faith at work in your life. We need to be a people of faith. Let me give you some quotes and cover some things here quickly. A.W. Tozer, who I, I like to read, he's very quotable. He's with, been with the Lord a long time, but A.W. Tozer said some words about faith I read some time back. and He said this, and please listen to this, Christian. Many modern Christians see God as present in the past and present in the future, but as absent in the present. Think about this with me for a minute. 
We believe in God's, and I'm uh, illustrating it, he illustrates well, but I'll illustrate it my way. We believe in God's great works in the past, don't we? I believe in literally a six-day creation and God rested on the seventh day. I believe that happened. I believe in the parting of the Red Sea for Moses and the children of the Israel. And I believe it came back in on, on the Egyptian army there. I believe that Daniel lived comfortably in the lion's den overnight. And when they took him out, the lions got their appetite back when they threw the other guys in. I believe that Jesus walked on the water and that he was resurrected from the dead. I believe in the old days of the great revivals that I've read about. And the great ministries, D.L. Moody and Spurgeon and Billy Sunday and, and even some in, uh, in the 20th century that I was more familiar with, some great things happened and I believe those things happened. And I think you do too. And I believe in some things that God's going to do in the future. I believe Jesus is coming again, don't you? He's coming again. I believe that there will be a great tribulation period on this earth. And I believe that there's a real heaven and I believe I'm going there. And I believe in the millennial kingdom of Christ where we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ on this earth for a thousand years. And I believe in New Jerusalem where we will be forever and ever. And I believe these things are, I believe in these things. But in the present, people fail to know and sense the presence and reality of God in their lives right now. You know, they, they don't really believe things like with God, all things are possible. You know, God is still capable of doing things that nobody's ever known him to do yet. Or you've never seen him do yet. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose, that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, the good it works toward, it makes us more like Jesus. Everything is not good, but everything works together for good. And I believe God loves us enough that he doesn't let us go through really hard trials and difficulties in life unless there's a good reason, and the good reasons would either be uh, to chasten us or this goes hand in hand to conform us to the image of Christ. Make us more like Jesus. Philippians 4.13, this is not a promise, but it's what Paul said, and I think it applies to us. He said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, the can-do in there as a young Christian, when I read that, I thought, I can do it. With God's help, I can do great feats. But then I come to understand that's kind of a little bit a part of it but I can do means I am able for or up to all things through Christ because you're going to endure some things in life and we have endured things in life it's pretty tough but we can do it through Christ we can keep on keeping on and he will see us through but people when their problems come or or these things about his reality, they just don't see it. And this is a misconception of God, and it's a form of unbelief. Hebrews 3 and verse 12, uh, he, uh, uh, I believe as Paul wrote there, he said that uh, they had an evil heart of unbelief. You know, we say, boy, I wish I had the faith of so-and-so. Man, he's got so much faith. 
When you fail to trust God, that's unbelief. And it's evil. It's what the Bible says. And he illustrates it by the children of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, the children of Israel, before they went into the wilderness, they refused to go into the promised land because they didn't believe God could whip those giants. And a generation of them died in the wilderness. Their failing to believe God is called the provocation in the wilderness, which means they provoked God. You need to be careful about your unbelief. It can provoke God to things you don't want to happen. If we're not careful, we see God inhabiting the past and the future, but we secretly and subtly think of him as absent in the present. And when that happens, we think of ourselves as inhabiting a parenthetic interval between the God who was and the God who will be. And when that happens, we tend to become the Lord of the present. I'll just have to take care of myself. I'm glad I don't have to just take care of myself, aren't you? We can trust him. Hebrews 11:6, 6, where we started without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he, help me, is. Not just was and will be, but he is. He's real in our lives, present tense. Abraham believed God was very real and very present and very reliable in his own life. Tozer said this, spiritual giants are men and women who at some time become acutely conscious of the real presence of God and then they maintain that consciousness the rest of their lives. That's a spiritual giant. We're talking about men, women, teenagers, whoever it might be. Become aware of that. Spiritual giants, I'll put it this way. We are people who have strong conviction that we live for and pray to and walk with and walk in the presence of the true and living God who is actually present and actually able. Abraham believed God and was called the friend of God. I want to ask you tonight, do you have perfect faith? I'm not asking... Have you ever wavered a little bit about something? But is your faith producing works that please and honor God? Consistently doing that in your life. That's what perfect faith is. Faith that trusts and obeys God here and now. Faith that affects God because we have a, a, an active prayer life and we trust God's hearing and Faith that affects us in our obedience and trust and peace and joy and faithful service and sacrificial service. I want to ask you tonight, could you be called a friend of God based on what you believe and based on how you live and how you serve God? I want you to bow your heads tonight.